the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Because here's what we're doing today. We are celebrating the most important thing that ever happened. The most important thing that ever happened in all of history. The most important thing that ever happened in all of eternity. You can make a really good case, and I would not argue with you, that Jesus' birth and just about every other part of his life, especially his death, is just as important. But the fact is, if he hadn't come back to life, we wouldn't be doing this today. That's just, that's just true. There's been a lot of people who have died for a worthy cause, a lot of people who have died for people that they loved, but only one came back. There's been a lot of people that said a lot of great things and taught a lot of great things. There's only one who did that and also said really outlandish things like he was God and he was the only way to God, the only way, the only truth, the only life, and then proved it by coming back to life after they killed him. Jesus is incredibly unique and it's his resurrection that proves that. The Bible's actually very clear that the first Good Friday was not good. At that moment, even though we look back and we know everything it meant and we get it and his disciples went on to explain all that to us, at that moment, they were in the darkest spot they'd ever been. At that moment, they were grieving. Now, I know you guys have probably heard of the Kubler-Ross grief thing. If you've ever been through anything hard in your life, you've experienced these things. It's not a... um, It's not a diagnosis. It's not something that it's a script you have to follow. But when you go through something hard, when you lose anything, a person, a pet, a job, a dream, it doesn't matter. You lose something you care about, you're going to deal with these things. And I guarantee you, this is where they were on that Friday night and all day Saturday. Somebody was still in denial. I don't know how they could deny what they'd seen after just how horrific and terrible and gross and obviously fatal that it was, but we're human beings. Somebody was probably still going, well, maybe he's not dead. Maybe he had a twin brother and we didn't know. You know, denial is a pretty powerful thing sometimes. I guarantee you some people were angry. I mean, think about it. You got Simon Peter on that team. You got Simon the Zealot on that team. Somebody's angry. If nothing else, they're angry at themselves. Maybe they're angry at Jesus. A lot of times when we're going through the hardest times of our lives, that's where we are. And it's being able to admit that and face that head on that allows us to start getting through and get somewhere with Jesus, with the situation. Somebody was probably bargaining. I guarantee you almost all of them were depressed. Can you imagine? I know I I would have been thinking, wow, I, I will never trust anybody again. I really thought that guy was the Messiah. I really thought this was the real thing. I can't believe I can't believe. That's where I would have been. And I think that's where a lot of them are. But thank God some of the ladies among them had moved on to acceptance already. Probably, as you know, those those feelings come back through. There's a cycle. It would have, if he would have stayed dead, it would have kept coming around. But they moved on to acceptance. They said, look, we know we helped. He died. He's buried. We're going to go at least pay our respects to the body. They faced reality as it was and they went there and they were the ones who got to see the miracle first. 
They were the ones who got to see the empty tomb. They were the ones who got to talk to angels and were commissioned by those angels to go and tell the rest of his followers. Those wonderful, brave ladies were the first. This morning, we're going to go through the three big parts of this story that you can't separate them out. They all matter, but there's three steps. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And by his death, I mean the whole suffering process, the whole thing. The tor- he was tortured to death in so many different terrible ways. But Jesus' death reminds us that no matter what, sin always leads to death. Even if Jesus is the one who has to pay the price for us, somebody had to die for our sins. God loves justice. God loves keeping his word just as much as he loves us. And whatever that cost him, he was willing to do. Jesus's death also shows, because we know the rest of this story, that obedient trust in God always leads to life. And if you're a note taker today, you've got some notes there with you. and You can write down those words, obedient trust. If you're not a note taker, you can just kind of think about that for a second or say it out loud or something. I hope it sticks. But this is the thing. The wages of sin is death is not just about God punishing us. It's just something in us dies when we choose our own ideas instead of God's. Something in us dies and there's consequences. And sometimes they're deliberate consequences, deliberate punishments from God. But obedient trust leads to life, even if it leads to death first. This is what happened to Jesus in a very unique way. He died for our sins, not his, and his resurrection makes it possible for us to live full lives. Jesus is a perfect example of what we've been going through as a church the last several weeks. Uh, it's an, we've been using an acronym from Sir John Whitmore and his company, uh, simply using the word grow. We're talking about how to grow, how God wants us to get to the next couple steps that he's leading us to. Jesus's salvation that he gave us is a perfect example of how that works because he had a very clear goal. He wanted to save the world, not just forgive our sins, but to save us from sin, to give us freedom from sin. He faced reality. He knew exactly what it would take for that to happen, that he would have to play the role that he was made to play. He was the only perfect one who could have done that. He looked at all the options and he chose the only one that could work. And then he had the will to make it happen. If you would, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in scripture today. The references will be up on the screen. You can read along or you can read along in your own book or or your own Bible or your own Bible app. I hope you go back and look at all these later. They're all in that handout. And if you're joining us digitally, they're all in there as well. But we're going to spend a lot of time in scripture today as we normally do, beginning with Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you might need. But it's the resurrection that gives us the hope that God is prepared to do literally anything. We can come to him. I also love that Jesus set such a deliberate example that this is how we should be living as well. Paul writes it almost as a poem in Philippians 2. He says, your attitude, and that's your attitude, my attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in his very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant, became obedient, even unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews 11 chronicles a whole bunch of heroes that we have from the Old Testament. People that bet everything on Jesus. Actually, they didn't even know it was Jesus yet. They bet everything on God and the promise of a Messiah that was coming. It starts out like this in chapter 12. Again, chapter 11 is all these stories referencing these stories, these people that gave everything for their faith. Then Hebrews 12 begins like this. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Leave that up there, but before we go on, I need to make this clear. That word that we translate witnesses, it means witnesses like in a courtroom. We somehow get this idea sometimes that they're all, this, this verse means they're all watching us. Like we're on a football field and they're all in the stands. And maybe they can see us. I'm not going to go there this morning. What this is saying is this. Every single person in Hebrews 11 will stand up and testify. I have seen something. I have heard something. I have done something. I have felt something. I have experienced something. I know that it's worth it. You should have faith in God too. It's like, you know, those five-star reviews when you try to buy something online. You know what I'm talking about? Let's see what the, let's see what the reviews say. He's saying every single one of those people give God five stars. We're surrounded by witnesses who say, listen, this is worth it. Even the ones who died for their faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he had a very clear goal and he reached it. He reached it by facing the reality. And I don't think there's any more clear part of his story than his burial that expresses just the cold, hard reality of what he did for us. He was dead. He was buried. Time went by. They sealed it up. The grave was guarded. 
At the time, it couldn't have seemed any more final and any more done. Nobody was imagining at that moment that it would turn out the way it turned out. He told them it would, but it was pretty hard to believe in that moment. But here's the thing. When Jesus died and was buried, he did more than just forgive our sins, make it possible for us to be forgiven. He set us free. And it was his death and his burial that makes that so clear. Because here's the thing. If you're still paying off a car and you died today, somebody's going to have to write those checks or somebody's going to go bankrupt. Somebody's gonna, there's going to be some cost to somebody, but not to you. You're free. Are you with me? You're dead. You're dead. I'm not trying to be creepy. That's just how it works. Paul even uses the idea of marriage. He said, you say till death do us part. Once one of the spouses is dead, the other person is free to remarry someone else if they want to. Because they have kept that commitment. They're free. Are you with me? I'm not trying to creep anybody out. It's just that. And he, that, listen, that's how dead we are to sin if we really embrace what Jesus is offering us. The old nature that he died to kill, the power that sin had over us, the claim that sin had over us, the slavery that we were in to sin and sin owned us is just as over as if we had died. Nobody sins in the grave. In Christ, we die and we are buried with him and then we're raised to a new life. Ephesians 2, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I hope this idea is so familiar to all of you, but just to make sure. Every time you see the idea of works in the Bible, it's paired with grace. Because we cannot be so good or so innocent that God has to save us. We can't do it on our own. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is the only reason any of us can be saved. But at the same time, every time you see anything like this where it says you're saved by grace through faith, right next to it is something about works. We're not earning salvation because of our works, but we are saved into works. Do you understand? 
Jesus set us free from sin. Now he owns us. We used to be all about selfishness and, and everything that God does not like. He saved us from that so that we could live completely differently. Now, some passages of the Bible say that we are now slaves to righteousness. We're his masterpiece, his workmanship, his signature product that he's put on this earth to do the stuff that he loves the most. That's what righteousness is. The stuff that looks like God, the stuff that smells good to God, the stuff that makes God smile. That's righteousness. We're saved from death into life, from sin into righteousness. And we're empowered by Jesus to do that. Again, Jesus is the only one who could do that. And so he looked at all the options and realized there only was one. There was only one possible Messiah, ultimate Messiah. There are a lot of people who claim to be the Savior. There was only one who actually pulled it off. Only, only one who could, and that's Jesus. There was only one ultimate Passover lamb. Only one ultimate high priest. Jesus is the center of the whole story. Once, once we see his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then his ascension and sending us out into the world, you see that whole thing, the whole Bible starts making sense. It's been about Jesus since the very beginning. John writes about it, so many other people, but let's look at Colossians. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 100% Jesus. It's all Jesus. The only hope we have is putting all of our hope in That was an easy question. Let me try this one more time. (laughs) It's all about Jesus. Our only hope is we have to be united with Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 6. He's actually talking to people who say, hey, if we're saved by grace, then let's just keep on sinning. And he's like, no, 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 no. You were united with Christ through baptism. Listen, listen to this. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. 
In Colossians 2, Paul writes this, For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Does that sound familiar? He uses the exact same words he uses in that other passage. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. That's the power of Christ's resurrection. He brings us back to life. He says, not only are you dead in your sin, but I'm going to help you die to sin. We're going to bury that. I'm going to set you free to live like you were designed to live all along. Peter says, for Christ, I'm sorry, first let me say this. Christ's resurrection established his authority like nothing else ever could. And I don't think it's an accident. No, I know it's not an accident. That he made one big command, one five-part command with that authority. He, He referenced that authority. Does anybody know what it was? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, somebody should know this. We literally say this every Sunday in one way or another. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. His resurrection said, I have the authority to tell you to do anything. And here's what I'm going to tell you. How important do you think that is that we live that out? That that become what defines us as individuals, as friend groups, and whatever other relationships we're in as a church, as part of God's global body. We dare not settle for anything less than what Jesus died and was buried and rose and sent his spirit to accomplish. Let's look at what Peter said. He said, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Don't miss this. This is, this is one of the few places in the whole Bible that hint at what was going on while Jesus' physical body was buried. It doesn't answer all of my questions. You probably have some too. But what it's telling us here is that while his spirit was not in his body, somehow or another, the people that had already died got one more chance straight from Jesus. That's, that gives me so many really big questions and a whole lot of hope about the goodness of God. There's something really powerful there. I'm not going to pretend I totally understand it, but it's right there. Somehow or another, Jesus, while he was quote unquote dead, 
spoke to the people who had died up to that point. That's amazing. But specifically, it's talking about how even the story of the flood in the Old Testament is pointing toward the ultimate salvation that he offers us. It says, uh, in it, the flood, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. I don't know where you are with Christ today, but one more time, what we've been remembering together the last several weeks is that we're on a journey. That the moment that any of us think that we have made it, We've learned all we need to know. We've got all the answers. We're as close to God as we need to be. We're as righteous and sin-free as we need to be. We're, we're good. That's not a good place to be. Okay? We're on a journey. And this isn't judgment. This isn't condemning anybody. This isn't saying that anybody here is just completely failing, let alone let alone everybody. This is not where this is going. But we're remembering together, we've got to stay on a journey. Just like when Jesus called his first disciples, he accepts all of us as we are. Matthew, the tax collector, was literally collecting taxes as Jesus walked by and said, come follow me. He walked away from his job. Same with the fishermen. Same with every single one of them. Same thing. It doesn't matter what you were into before. It doesn't matter how badly you've sinned, how broken you are, how hurt you've been. It doesn't matter. At the beginning, you're accepted. Come in. Come on in. But we're on a journey If we say, hey, Jesus just loves everybody. Yes, he does. But he saves us from death into life. There we go. From sin into righteousness. And and, and if we miss that, we miss the whole thing that he was trying to do. Acceptance is the open door. Welcome. Come on in. But we're on a journey to actually belonging. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of his mission. We're keeping it going. We are the ones that he left in charge under his full authority. We're always on a journey from knowledge to action. He doesn't just want us to come to church and learn stuff. He wants us to do it as soon as we learn the next thing. We're moving from, oh, I never, I never understood that. Well, I do now, so let's go. That's all of us every single day. We're moving from just going through the motions to actually remembering why these motions are even here and really owning it every time. And maybe coming up with some new ways to serve God as long as we understand that we're doing it, it's biblical. We're moving from entertainment to engagement. We're moving from information to transformation. Let me say that last one one more time. We're moving from information about Jesus to transformation by Jesus. And if we miss that, we've missed why he died. We missed why he was buried. We missed why he came back to life. We missed the power of that story. We miss it if we're not being changed. 
If we're not literally dying to ourselves and coming back to life through Jesus Christ. One more time, let's look at what this grow model means to us. And again, this isn't, this is just a way to think about what the Bible tells us. This isn't where we get this idea. It's just a great way to frame it. But if we're going to grow, we've got to have a clear goal. And I believe that clear goal needs to be Matthew 8, 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission that we just kind of said together. That needs to be our goal. We need to look like the Acts 2 church that absolutely that was their goal and they were getting it done. Every day, they were growing so fast they couldn't hardly keep up. That needs to be, we're constantly on a journey to there. So how do we get there? We've got to face the reality. And here's the deal. Part of the reality, part of why we're celebrating today all over the world, God's people all over the world and us right here today is because the outlandish stuff Jesus said about himself is true. He said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come that you might have life Life to the full. The only place you're going to get that is Jesus. Right? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that's true, and we love the people around us, we love our families, we love our friends, we love strangers in this world, we love people that are struggling somehow, whoever God is particularly calling you to and putting on your heart today, if you really love them, you're going to point them to Jesus, right? If he's the only way, the only truth, the only life, we've got to point him to Jesus. The only option that we really have that makes any kind of sense in light of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus is to give him everything, literally everything. Respond to his ultimate authority by coming to him, repenting of our sins, being baptized into him, living the rest of our lives, sharing that story. The last part of this thing is simple, but it's probably the hardest part. It's the will to actually just do it. Every year at camp, one of my favorite things to do, because it's literally been life transforming for me and I've seen it help so many other teenagers and even adult sponsors, but we we take them to cliffs and waterfalls and a bridge that we're allowed to do this on, but we jump off into water. And you're, you're right on the edge and... It's this simple. That's all there is to it. But it doesn't feel like that when you're up there on the railing of the bridge. It doesn't feel like that when you're up there on the edge of the waterfall. It feels like a lot more than this. But that's really what it is. And the choice to follow Jesus, the choice to give him everything is just that simple this morning. And some of you have been following Jesus forever. You got baptized forever and ever ago. Some of you have been following Jesus forever, but never got baptized. Maybe you don't understand why that's so important. I hope you do today after what I just shared. Some of you have been following Jesus forever faithfully, but there's something you're holding on to that you just will not let go. You'd rather trade anything than let go of that pain or that sin or that whatever it is that you're holding on. 
It's just simple. Give it to him this morning. Let it go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He had it. He earned it. My prayer is here in a second, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. You're going to do whatever you need to during that time. You can just stand there and pray. You can stand there and sing. You can come forward. You can go back if you want to make some sort of decision privately or just pray. Whatever you feel led to do. But I ask you to do this. And on the other side of this, I hope we can all say this with Paul clearer than ever before. Would you say it with me right now? Just read it straight off of here. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May that become more and more true every day for all of us as we grow in him. Do what you gotta do today, make that jump.